Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all. And uh, we're going to be continuing on in our Christmas series. And uh, I'm looking forward to the word that God has for us today. So it, Christmas is coming, right? <laughs> it's coming. The, the days are counting. The kids are definitely counting down the days for Christmas. Uh, I know maybe you've been to lots of Christmas parties, uh, trying to get the shopping done, uh, maybe hanging a few last lights and decorations and uh, getting your ugly Christmas sweater. Our family decided to go matching ugly Christmas sweaters this year, so uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. But there's a lot going on. There's a lot of hustle and bustle in this season, a lot going on. And, and as, as Jesse was praying for us uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, I just really resonated with her prayer that we would slow down and we'd be able to focus and focus on Jesus. And so that's what this morning is all about, is us taking time to, to slow down and to focus on him. And we've been talking about how Jesus is the son of Joseph, and then last week how he referred to himself as the son of man. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus is the son of God. And so I hope that you'll be tracking with me as we look at how this Christmas story begins with uh, an unwed mother, a peasant girl, who was going to conceive a child, that would, he would be uh, a miracle, the Messiah, that he would be uh, the, 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 the one who saves the world. And so we're going to look at where that happens in this story, and, and we're going to see that when God shows up, that he brings grace and favor. When God shows up, he brings grace and favor, that he brings uh, the impossible, becomes possible, and then he invites us to respond to him, to respond as true disciples, to be people who say to this God, whatever you want to do, do it in my life. Whatever you want to do, that's, that's what I want to be. So we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 1. So if you'd turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, it's a familiar passage, and it's going to be the, the place where we're going to camp out today. So I'm looking forward to digging into it with you guys Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll go through verse 38. I'll read the whole, part, the whole passage for you, and then we'll, we'll start to think about what's going on here. So Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have to listen. And we ask that you would open up our ears, open up our hearts, and that you would speak to us through your word. And that we would see Jesus clearly for who he is and for who you are. And we ask for that, that you would do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Uh, as I began thinking about this sermon today and knew the title was The Son of God, uh, I was immediately, for some reason, carried to a memory from when I was about 20 years old. And uh, I was a student and uh, had just become a Christian a few years earlier. And someone had uh, passed me a book by A.W. Tozer called Knowledge of the Holy. And Tozer's a love reading him. Uh, and, and I took that book and I would sit out on the grass out in the middle of the campus and just start reading. And it was a book that's all about the attributes of God and the character of God. And as I read this book, Knowledge of the Holy, there was just this, um, this sense of God's presence. It was weird. <laughs> uh, but I was sitting there reading, and as I read page after page, I began to feel God's presence growing stronger and stronger for who, and, and it, for who God is. As I was reading these truths about him, there were truths that were going on in my brain, but there was something that was happening in my heart through that. And as I read and continued to read that, his, God's presence became stronger. I was like, this is, this is pretty awesome. I'm not just reading about him, but I'm getting to know him. And the thing about that book is it has this famous first line that some of you might have heard before. And what, uh, the opening line of the first chapter says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And today, we're gonna to be looking at what God has revealed about himself and who Jesus really is. Because it's easy to have an idea of God that is, actually has no bearing on the truth about who God really is. It's easy to have a picture of Jesus as maybe he's just cute little baby Jesus. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with actually who he really, really is. And so that's what we're going to do today as we look at this passage is look at God for who he really is so that we can know that in our minds. But I'm also, I'm praying that you know it in your hearts, especially if you're here today and you would just consider yourself, maybe you say, I'm interested in spiritual things, wouldn't call myself a Christian. You're going to hear about Jesus, who he really is today. And I'd encourage you to, to to just to put yourself in a place of saying, yeah, I want to listen, and, and God, show me that you're real while I'm listening to this today. And I believe that he will do that. And so we're picking up this passage in Luke 1. There have been hundreds of years of silence. We see the Old Testament and the prophets, but now there's hundreds of years of silence, but they're broken when the angel Gabriel comes to a childless couple and says, you guys are going to have a kid, to Zacharias and to his wife Elizabeth. And, uh, and so she becomes pregnant. And it's a miracle because she's past the time when a woman could normally have children. And she's about six months into her pregnancy when we pick up here in Luke 1, chapter 26. And so let's just look at those first verses just again, and we'll start to unpack them. In the sixth month, this is of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This is the backwoods, folks. This is a tiny little place. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, 
and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old. That was when a, a woman could conceive and when she could legally be engaged, and then a year later, she could be married. So do we have any 13 or 14-year-old ladies in the room today? Anybody here that might happen to hit that age? I don't see any. But ladies, if you can remember when you were 13 or 14, who, what you were like and what life was like, you could maybe put yourself into Mary's shoes. Oh, my I see some faces out there, like thinking back to those days, ladies. But that's how old Mary probably was when she gets this message. And, and so here, here's this angel who would probably look like, a, like a, a, a Navy SEAL. That's honestly what angels probably look like when they appear. That would be the closest thing for us in like their full tactical gear. Uh, that would be the effect of here's this guy showing up. And he says to her, greetings, O favored one. And if you're marking your Bible, you can mark that favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary doesn't think so. She says, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, check this out. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And if you're marking, mark favor again. So you see it twice. Whenever you're reading scripture and you see words start to be repeated, that's a clue to something that we want to pay attention to. She was greatly troubled, wasn't sure what to make out of this greeting. Mary was the, the last person that you would expect to receive some kind of greeting from an angel. When you think about it, it's very unexpected because she was, she was poor, uh, she was young, she was a female, there were so many things, uneducated, so many things that would say, this is the last person that you would expect to receive this kind of a greeting. And she's like, why is God sending this angel to me? What is going on here? But she had found favor in God's eyes. And as you think about the Christmas story, as you think about Mary, this young girl, receiving this message that you are favored of God, God has, you have found favor in his eyes. That's the first thing that I want us to think about in this, in this passage is this place of unexpected favor. Unexpected favor. It's the first idea, I think, that, that we see as we read about what happens with Mary here. And, and God is like, God is, he's the maker of the universe, and yet he comes close to the, the smallest, most insignificant to each one of us. He comes close to us, and we see that when the angel greets Mary, and he says that, he uses these words, he talks about the, that she's a favored one, and that she's found favor with God, and the thing about that word favor is that it's actually most often translated as grace. Most of the time when it's translated, that word is translated as grace, and so I want us to stop and just think about what does this mean, this unexpected favor, this grace that God gives to Mary, because then we can think about how does that, how does he give that to us? And when you think about God's grace, the first thing that we think about is that it's, it expresses God's kind disposition towards us. What is God really like? How is he, is God mostly mad? <laughs> is he mostly sad? Or is he mostly glad? Because everybody kind of defaults into one of those. Most people think that God's maybe he's mostly mad at them, smack down the center. Uh, many people think God's sad. He's, I can't ever get it together. I wish I could. I just need to try harder. But the truth is that God is mostly glad and that he's filled with grace and that he extends that to us. And that's the most common way that we see grace. And it says, I'm just thinking of some, some passages that talk about God's grace towards us. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, it says, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself 
as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You're wondering, what is God really like? And I hope you'll listen, because many of us, we need our minds to be renewed and rewired about what, who God is and what he's really like. And we can see here that he is a God filled with grace, a God who, when he thinks about you, he thinks towards you with kindness. And we know that because even before the foundation of the world, before you were created, he knew you would exist. And in love, he chose you. That's his attitude towards you. That's his disposition towards you. The New Testament keeps talking about that. In John 1, it says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received. Can you say, I receive? Oh, I hope you want a little bit more grace than that. Can you say, I receive? receive. (laughs) Okay, all right. And in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own gift. It's the gift of God. And in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says that God the Father saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, because of his kindness, his disposition towards us is one of grace. And he says that, uh, again, he also says that it was which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Not only does grace, is, that's a way to talk about how God views us, how he relates to us, his disposition, but it's also a way to talk about the power that God gives to us to be the people that he's called us to be, that God gives his grace to us. And so there's two things that I want you to see about grace and favor from God this morning. One is that it's, it's how God relates to you. And then two, though, not only does he relate to you in a gracious way, but he gives you grace. So now you can say, I receive. I receive. Oh, a little bit better? Yeah, that you would receive, that we'd be receptive towards God's grace. And think about how Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace is the practical power for us to live each day that God gives to us, that he gives you grace for your life, for the day-to-day things that you face. And, uh, and Paul also says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So grace is not only the way that God relates to us, but it's his power acting in us that changes us and enables us to live in our daily lives where we most need it. And that is some pretty good news. I have uh, some buddies that I meet with uh, on Wednesday mornings, and, uh, and one of them is really good about making sure that we're trusting in God's grace and not in our own efforts each day. And he always says, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, no bootstrapping, no bootstrapping. It's depending on God's grace. And he reminds me of that over and over and over again. I so appreciate that because that's what this means, that God, that we find favor with God, that we find grace from him, is that it's not about us pulling ourselves up, but it's about God's power working in us. That's what Paul was talking about. And that's for the good times and for the bad times when we experience God's grace and his favor. And that's important because sometimes you think about, well, I received God's favor and, and we could do a whole prosperity gospel sermon <laughs> on, on that and it would not be good and probably not so helpful to you because God gives you grace and sometimes it's for the high moments in your life, the good moments, the blessings that happen, but he's also giving you grace and favor in the middle of the challenges of the most difficult moments in your life because he said to Mary, you found favor with God but then a few verses later, he's going to th- say through Simeon, a sword will pierce your heart. You're going 
see some pretty hard things in your life, but God is with you in that. And that's part of the way that God's favor works. So that's God's favor. It's not only how God feels towards you, that he's gracious and kind, but it's also that he gives you the power to be the person that he's called you to be. And so we depend on him and we want to receive his grace. Next idea, though. Let's go keep going. The angel goes on to explain what's going to happen as God's favor is on Mary's life. And it says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of David, of Jacob, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So this is the second big idea that we want to look at as we think about this passage. And he's going to be called Holy, the Son of God. He is what the the song Hark the Herald Angels calls incarnate deity. Incarnate, we call this the incarnation. It means to put on flesh, like carne is that word for meat, and it's putting on flesh. And so he says that he will be called Holy, the Son of God. And this is, the fact that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's fully God, that he's fully man, it's one of the crazy things that Christians believe because it doesn't make any sense. It's like, logically, how, can this, how could this happen? And how could he be born of a virgin? It's one of the crazy things that we believe. And you know, it's funny, because I, I read a popular writer years ago, uh, Rob Bell was a very popular preacher at one point, and he wrote in a book, well, if the virgin birth didn't really happen, not that big of a deal. <laughs> I was like, no, oh, wait, whoa, hold on, man. This is like the, one of the linchpins of Christianity. This is one of the greatest miracles that's ever happened. You, this really matters. Why, though? Why does the virgin birth matter? What's going on when we talk about that? So just a little moment for our our theological growth uh, here at Redeemer. Why did Jesus, how how did this happen? So so the the angel explains that the power of God was going to overshadow Mary and he would create this child within her. But Jesus Jesus was unlike any other human child that was born. Because every other child was born from a human father, a human mother, and through that he carries the curse that was placed on on Adam and Eve. And so that curse is passed down from, through every family, every child, every human. So Jesus was born in a different way, had a different dad, different father, so that he was born without sin, without sin. And that was only possible because of the virgin birth. And not only was he born without sin, but he was uniquely 100% God and 100% human. That's another weird thing, another crazy thing that Christians believe. And if you're here and you're like hearing this and you're scratching your head, it's okay. We believe some weird things. We just, we're letting you in here on the front end. But we believe that he was born of a virgin and that he's 100% God and 100% man. And that's what we see when the angel makes this, this, uh, this announcement to her. But it's not, really the, it's not the first time that this, this idea is in, the, in, in Scripture. Really, in the early pages, in Genesis chapter 3, when God is talking to Adam and Eve, and he's, he's, he gives the curse uh, on them for their disobedience. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's, he curses the snake, and he says, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And in that, those opening lines of Genesis, you actually see this, this picture of a woman giving birth to a child that was going to crush a serpent. Okay, 
A little bit of the incarnation coming there. And then in Isaiah 7, 14, uh, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so this virgin birth is prophesied. This son of God is prophesied. And we see that here. And so Jesus is uniquely, uniquely able to take our place, that he was able to live a completely sinless life, which when I first told my kids that, I was like, do you know Jesus never sinned? They're like, no way. But it's true. He was unique. He wasn't born with a natural predisposition towards sin like all of us are, that he was born sinless, and that even though he faced every temptation that we face, that he remained faithful. And in Hebrews 7.26, it says that he is the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin, and he has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. So Jesus was sinless. He's able to take our place uh, and pay the price for our sins. Let's keep reading. There's a few other parts that I wanted you to see in this passage. In verse 36, after talking about this, uh, uh, this son that would be born, son of the Most High, the angel says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. If you're marking your Bible, mark that line. It just jumps right off the page, that nothing would be impossible with God. And see, that's the thing is we wake up every morning with this predisposition to saying, like, is anything possible? <laughs> How am I going to make it? Where are you, God? And we, it's so hard. Life is a challenge uh, every morning. And here we see this, this line, and, I, and as I read this line and thought about us, that, God, we need to hear this, that you are the God who, with whom nothing is impossible. And that as we remember that that's part of his character, not only is he gracious and, and he gives his favor to us, not only does he do incredible things like uh, Elizabeth, who was barren, is, is with child, and then, Jesus, and then Mary, who has not known a man, she is also going to have a, a very unique child. God does the impossible. The Bible is filled with miracles. It is filled with this God who does miracles. Uh, church history, if you, if you read it, is filled with miracles. And even in your own life, many of you can think back over things that have happened that are only explainable because there's a God who does the impossible. And so this morning, and as you think about Christmas and there's all this stuff swirling around, I have that one of the things that you're going to latch onto is this, this idea that God, with God, nothing is impossible and that you would be encouraged to believe. There's, if you think about your own life right now, where is there something that feels impossible? And that you would say, God, I need you to show up here. Is it a relationship? Is it uh, something at work? Is it something with your health? Um, is it something with your finances? What is going on in your life? You say, man, this has just felt impossible. And, and yet it's something that maybe you haven't yet brought to God. So think about that for a minute, okay? This is like the practical thing. And one of the reasons I think God brought us here to this passage today is to say, where are the impossible places where I can say, God, I want to bring this to you. I want to bring this to you. I've been, um, been thinking about Philippians 4, 6 this week, where it says, don't, it says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Where are you anxious? Because it says, take everything that you're anxious about and bring it to God in prayer. And as we do that with thanksgiving, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
And so I want to encourage you that he's the God of the impossible and to bring, what is it that, that you're saying, I just don't know how this is going to work out, that you would bring that to the Lord and see uh, how he responds, what he says uh, to you in that. And, and that really, that, that brings us to the last part of this passage. In verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And if you skip down to verse 45, you'll see a nice little follow-up to this. This is Elizabeth. Her, her relative says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Mary's response is crazy. This angel comes with this, this, this announcement to her, and she says, okay, let this happen to me. If this is what God wants to do in my life, I want to receive it. I will, I'll be open to what God has. And in Mary's posture, that's where I want us to focus as we, as we close out today, is that she offered herself to God and to his plans. She knows that he's the God that greets her with favor, she knows that he's the God that can do the impossible. She knows that he is the king of the universe. And so she says, so here I am. Whatever you want to do, do that in me. I'm your servant. She orients herself as a servant to him. And, and that's really the place that he calls us to in responding to this announcement, to this, to, to this person of Jesus. And so as you're here today, I want you to think about that and think about how you might respond to this message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ comes and that he is the, the way that favor and grace come to our lives and that God is able to do the impossible. So we think about that. And, and for some of you, you might think about God as, this, uh, as distant, as angry, uh, as, uh, or maybe you think about you know, little baby Jesus <laughs> in his diaper and he's just something nice and cute at Christmas. Uh, my wife, and when they were growing up, they used to have a little manger scene, and they would play hide the baby Jesus. They'd go get the little plastic Jesus and stuff him somewhere. Uh, he's not a little baby in a manger anymore. He's the king of the universe. And he is coming to you in kindness, in gentleness, in humility. He comes to you to bring favor to your life, the kind of favor that changes our eternity. And so if you don't know that Jesus, then today I would invite you to place your faith in that Jesus, to be like the, the Roman centurion who saw Christ crucified and he said, surely this is the son of God. Or maybe it'd be like Thomas, one of his disciples who didn't get to see Jesus after he was resurrected immediately. He didn't get to see him, but later he did and he fell on his face in worship and said, yes, truly you are the son of God. And I would just ask you to look into your own heart right now and to say, what, how do I view Jesus? Do I view him as the son of God? Do I believe in this? And that you would experience your faith resting in the son of God this morning. Let's take a minute and let's pray and ask God to do that for us. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus, the son of God, to save us from our sins. Wow. To call us to a new life. And so, Lord, we ask that um, as we're sitting here and just thinking about that truth, that you would show us how we can respond to you.
Lord, that you'd speak to us about where we need to believe. Whether they're relationships, um, Lord, places where we have unforgiveness, um, relationships that are broken, uh, people in our life that are far from God that you're calling us to reach. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us. If, there's, if uh, you want us to express our faith in you by trusting you with our finances, or trusting you with our jobs, Lord, if there's a, a sin that you want us to turn from and bring it out into the light, we pray for that. We ask for your spirit to take the truth of your word and shine into our hearts. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.